0: Since 2007, the Paul Meredith team at CityCan Financial has prided themselves on providing a better mortgage experience than you'll get anywhere else. Paul and his team will guide you through the home financing process with professional quality advice, exceptional service, and mortgage rates tailored to meet your specific needs. Their goal is to treat all of their clients the same way they would if they were doing a mortgage for their own mothers. They want to provide you with a wow experience with your mortgage from industry-leading low rates to giving their clients the rock star treatment. The Paul Meredith team would love to have the opportunity to help you out on your next mortgage and show you why they have over 300 five-star reviews on Google.
1: We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on.
0: Welcome to On The Way Home. Perhaps you are listening to this uh, with your morning coffee, or maybe you are on the way home from wherever you are coming from, work. Uh, Let's hope you're not out there uh, in the community, because obviously we're supposed to be staying safe and staying at home during these challenging times. Stefania, how are things on the West Coast?
1: Oh, you know. We keep uh, going along. I think we're we're all just trying to do our best uh, as we're in the third wave of this pandemic, and just trying to stay safe and keep our community members uh, safe as well.
0: Fantastic! What's uh, what's new at the Canadian Alliance and homelessness? You're always working on important stuff.
1: Oh man! Well, um, we have uh, we we recently announced that our conference in November, from November third to fourth, uh, will be virtual. Um, for the first time ever. So we're really, really excited because we think it's an opportunity uh, to make it more accessible for folks who can't always travel uh, across the country um, or or afford to go. And we also uh, really want to make it inspirational and motivational kind of check-in because who knows where we'll be in November, but ideally and hopefully we'll be in a much better state. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I know uh, my team and I at Blue are excited. Uh, about this conference. We missed it last year. And really, as we pivot to talk about today's guests, I think the conference, if it's virtual, will make it much easier for international guests to attend as well, I would think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really exciting, and we're really excited to see what comes of it. And speaking of international, thanks for that queue up. Uh, I'm really excited to, as always, to introduce our next uh, new guest for today's podcast, uh, David Ireland. He's joining us from the UK. He's been a housing advocate all his working life, from local authorities to government to media and charities. Since 2014, he's been the chief executive of World Habitat, whose vision is, quote, a world where everyone has a safe and secure home in a successful community. World Habitat recently released a report about how organizations across Europe work together to save lives during the pandemic and supported people's journey out of homelessness. So welcome to the show today, David. We're really, really excited to have you.
2: Well, thank you, Stefania. And um, thank you, Michael. And, and it's a it's a pleasure um, to be here. I just, just wish I really was in Canada. I've been locked in this room for so long now. But... Um, <laughs> you're right is one of the one of the silver linings of this pandemic is actually we've got to travel around the world um, virtually so much easier and um, so much lighter on our carbon f- footprint
0: absolutely we have to look for those uh those little glimmers of light in these dark times and we're thrilled to have you on david it's not that often that we have guests from outside canada join us on the show uh, can you tell us tell us more about your journey uh, yourself and your housing advocacy
2: Yes, thank you. I'm not, well, I mean, you, you you said a bit about it and I, I I mean I've been doing this for 30 30 years, housing, which seems extraordinary. Um but I I graduated as do you have environmental health officers in Canada? Is that is that the term you use or health inspectors? Um, I graduated as one of those um, and um, you do all sorts of things you, you sort of inspect um, restaurant kitchens and um, investigate industrial accidents um, but actually um, unhealthy housing is one of the, one of the other things that um, you do as part of that job and I think what, I, what I've found fairly quickly is you know food poisoning and accidents are, can be horrible things but they're events and they, 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 they happen and then they're gone but bad housing just sort of keeps happening to you Um, and so the sort of the impact on people's lives of inadequate housing or indeed no housing at all is just so huge Um, and and I I specialised in that and and worked in local authorities for a number of years in 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 London doing all sorts of things around um, around housing and then discovered this thing about empty housing Um, so it always strikes me as this uh, sort of anomaly that um you get empty housing and homelessness sitting side by side and often the higher the homelessness rate the higher the empty housing rate for some um, bizarre reason, and so the, the the charity was there to to highlight that and trying to encourage um, getting more empty homes back into use for people who needed them. Um, and we got changes of legislation. We got 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 um, got new powers brought in for local authorities to bring homes back into use, and we got a new funding program. And um, and for a while, anyway, you know, the things 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 really looked up, and we 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 got a bit of progress. Um, and then this job came up at World Habitat, and I always sort of thought, I mean, it's called it was called building a social housing foundation and i would seen the organization for years and i just sort of thought that's the best job in housing if you can ever get that and um, sure enough it came up so, so I, I put in my application and um, that's what i've been for the last six years.
1: that's that's really great. It's it's interesting too that you're talking about empty homes. Uh, it strikes a chord for me in Vancouver, uh, because we really we're really struggling with empty homes, and I know look from local authorities to higher authorities are, are still trying to figure out what to do with them because they pose such a barrier for folks, um, and we have such a housing crisis here on the West Coast, across Canada as well. Um, but I but just personally here, I'm seeing it unfold. Um, so just to circle back about World Habitat, uh, your organization seems it's so fascinating and seems to do so much Um, what would you like our listeners to know about your organization
2: well I suppose um, where I think about where world habitat fits in it strikes me that sort of whatever the housing problems there are in the world there's somebody somewhere has found a solution and what our job is is to find those solutions and then um, help them transfer to the places where they're needed most. Um, and one of the ways we do this is, is through the World Habitat Awards. So there's this competition we've been running for about 30, 35 years, I think now, in conjunction with um, UN Habitat. And the, the one of the effects of this is we find out about all these amazing housing projects. So people submit um, these projects to us. Um, and the best ones, you know, we go through a rigorous process, and the best ones um, get awarded. But actually, what we've, what what I think of that is the sort of beginning of a process. So, so we, we we award these these wonderful projects, but actually, what we then do is we then work with them for a few months, sometimes a few years, helping them grow and helping them develop and helping transfer those ideas to to new places. Um, and some of those 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 sort of little projects that we've we've done have sort of grown into our own projects. So we've got we've got a, a project which is around homelessness in Europe, um, which, which grew out of some work we did, um, finally, from 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 a, from a few years ago. Um, and then we're doing a lot of work as well with community-led housing. Um, so community-led housing, community land trusts, um, cooperatives, um, something that we we. we we awarded a few years ago and and actually as a result of that, um, we got some moved from the United States and actually developed the first community land trusts um, in Europe. And we're working now, um, getting them to work in places you'd never have thought of. So we're we're doing some extraordinary work um, with some partners um, in Bangladesh, where using a community land trust as a way of establishing land use um, around a refugee camp. and another using the same principles in um, Rio de Janeiro um, in a favela there. And so using those principles to actually secure land ownership and spread land ownership around a larger number of people to protect the land rights for people whose um, land rights are very very insecure. So it takes us all into all these extraordinary places, but I think the sort of key bit to, to, to it all is those principles about um you know what what good housing is is housing which is um which is which is affordable um is available for, for 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 people and which people people themselves have been involved in its development and when you put all those things together um you get good housing
1: Absolutely. And I think I can speak for Michael and myself when I say that, you know, our two organizations are really interested in those solutions to homelessness, and we know that there's work happening worldwide. So we're so excited to have you today. Um, and we also wanted to take this opportunity to really dig into the Impact Report 2020 that recently came out, and I I believe it sheds light on the European End Street Homelessness Campaign. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that campaign and how it came about?
2: Sure. Yeah, this was... So this was one of these projects. This was so very early on when I when I joined World Habitat, um, I had the privilege of going to Finland to see the remarkable work that they've done there. One one of practically the only country in the world which is which has managed to virtually end homelessness, Um, and also went to a really really insightful visit to Los Angeles to see. The the work it was sort of the end of the hundred thousand homes campaign, which had been led by Community Solutions, um, and and I think the the sort of real revelation from from both of those visits was that um, homelessness is soluble; it's a solvable problem, um, and once you can solve it somewhere, it, that demonstrates you can solve it anywhere if you've got the will to do so, um, and came back from both of those visits, and then saw lots of other places in Europe which were putting lots of resources and doing lots of great work, but it actually wasn't making any difference. They weren't, they weren't moving the numbers. The numbers of homelessness, homeless people, and particularly rough sleepers, stayed very very much the same. Um, and so this was to try and try and influence that in Europe. And we worked with uh, a number of partner cities um, who were all signed up to the aim of ending rough sleeping in their in their city um, and working with principles which have been developed really in finland and pretty much in parallel in the united states Um, so those ideas about um getting to know the people um developing policies around um around the needs of 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 the the homeless people in in that city um and housing first as a you know as, as a principal means of 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 um of housing people and you put those things together and it it works um so we started off with four cities it's grown to 12 now um and um and there's progress in in all of those cities um so it's a beginning still the beginning of a journey um but there's you know remarkable things have happened
0: let's dig a little deeper on some of those remarkable things um what are some of the reports key findings that you can share with us
2: well, the one, and so, so this this is a report for over the last year, and and the one that really stuck out for me was um, was over those twelve cities, um, nearly a thousand. I think it was nine hundred and ninety six um, people were permanently housed um, um, in, in in those cities. Now, if you look at what had happened over the previous five years of of that. Um, of the campaign that's, that's there's more people were housed in those cities in the last year than was over the previous five together mm-hmm. and you know so another one of these we talked about started off by talking about sort of a few silver linings of covid actually there are some extraordinary things that have happened um and a, 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 an even more remarkable statistic as one, one i found was was in in london so in 2019 um 218 people were permanently housed into settled housing from homelessness hostels, and last year in 2020 that figure had re- risen to over 4,500. So something something extraordinary has happened, and yes, of course there are still lots of people um, in in um, in great housing need in London. There's still people on the street. There's still people stuck in 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 unsatisfactory housing, but something quite quite extraordinary has happened and I just think that that Covid um, put a focus on the most vulnerable people in society and um, in many places some brilliant things happened about housing people first of all in hotels um, and then realising that they could not be discharged back onto the street actually we had to do something better um, and, and so, something, something really special has happened I think.
0: And so diving just a little bit deeper there, let's, let's two part question here. What did the report confirm that you knew, but it's always good to have the data to confirm and what really surprised you?
2: Um, so I think what it did is it, it, it showed it. Sometimes these t- things take a long time to move. Um, there is there's, the cities are very diverse places. We've got big cities like. Glasgow, London, Barcelona. We've got small places like Torbay, Valencia, um, and um, and some of these places started on very different places on that journey. You know, there's, 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 Glasgow was well advanced and it has done some fantastic things over many years. In Bratislava, they're really right at the beginning of that journey. Um, and I think what what could see is that over time, if you keep doing the right things, you start getting results, and um, it, 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 it takes a while. Um, but actually, once you find out information, so so one of the, one of the principles of the campaign is um, connections weeks, going out, meeting um, people on the street, getting to know them, getting to understand their needs, and then developing policies based on those. And the, the thing that comes up time and time again is that, when you get that information often it's very different from the assumption that people made about the the people's needs beforehand Um, and it leads you down very different paths Um, so i'm one of the one, one of the things i think has been probably most remarkable about it is people make assumptions about how many people are local to their area so they will maybe in their mind um the homeless people don't come from this city they come from somewhere else and if you've got that in your mind's mindset it, it, it makes you think or leads politicians to think well in that case we don't want the services to be too good otherwise it's going to attract even more people and then when you find out actually that wasn't true your assumption was incorrect um that almost everybody here who's living on the street is local to your city um it puts a very different perspective on it, and it gives an obligation on the on the people running that city to to take responsibility for their own people and to house them properly.
1: You know, it's so interesting. Um as you share what's going on in Europe, and and even though we're on a different continent, um, so much of what you're saying, I think, is resonating with a lot of our listeners right now, because that is absolutely the case that we find here when we talk about um, communities uh, being nervous sometimes about having something, you know, either whether it's that nimbyism, um, because they don't want folks in their neighborhood living too close, or they're worried they're going to attract people from outside the community. And while that sure can happen to some extent, but I think from what we've seen from the data, it often shows that actually these are people within our communities, because more often than not, we find that people want to stay where they know, where they feel comfortable, you know, they know this neighborhood, maybe they grew up there, um, they're familiar with it, um, so so yeah, it's it's actually such a huge myth uh, that we're still trying to break here in Canada, too. Um, so so just to, to come back to the report, um, something that really stood out for me, and I feel is a really interesting takeaway is that collaboration, um, because that's some work that's happening in Canada as well, at least the communities that we work with at my organization, it's often about uh, getting out of those silos, uh, and working with uh, other organizations or adjacent sectors. Um, so I'm wondering if you could, you know, just just talking again about, uh, World Habitat's homelessness program. I'm so curious with where you see it going or what you hope uh, it, it will achieve or accomplish uh, as you guys continue to do that work.
0: Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness through its eight-week paid skills trades training program. Complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca.
2: I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. is important because all, although there's great difference between all of these cities, often often the solutions are not are not so not so different. Um, and what we've been able to do is um, is take people to places where things are really working. So I, I mentioned Helsinki, um, or I mentioned Finland. Um, Helsinki, we we, we took a, took people to visit Helsinki if, um, a few years ago um, and see a city where you know this is what it looks like when you've you've done all the right things for a number of years and 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 you know i think it was um it wasn't just a f- fact of learning what they'd done it was it was actually seeing seeing it for real now this is this is a solvable problem and this is look what it looks like when you've when you've done those things um, we also another city which is doing fantastic stuff in europe is in amsterdam um, and there's an organization called discus who's um, one of our partners who we've we've taken um uh, people from from each of our partner cities to um over the last couple of years um and, and a city which has gone from having a really quite significant um, problem of street homelessness to really really Reducing it down um, and using housing first as the principle of doing that, and I think you know Amsterdam is one of those cities which has lots of people attracted to, to, to Amsterdam. It's a it's a you know it's a, it's a regional hub. It's a well known attractive city, um, and, um, and 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 using housing first um, actually does work. It does it does begin to reduce that number of of people who. Um, are vulnerable and putting them in a more secure home and actually they're no longer homeless once they're once they're living there of course then still the services are provided to people but they're no longer um, part of those numbers of, of people who are on the street.
1: Absolutely. Um, so you you talked a bit earlier about you you uh, really dug into what the work happening in Bangladesh, which was really, really interesting as well. And I was hoping to kind of uh, pull out the work happening in Barcelona. Um, and that section in the report where it talks about uh, everyone having a right to a safe home, and the right to housing in Canada was recently legislated uh, policy at the federal level. But of course, it's it's still new. And I think that practical application is something that we're trying to uh, figure out um, at the federal level and and what that trickle down could look like. Um, It also talked about data-driven proposals coming out of Barcelona that start, but start with that idea um, that housing is a human right. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the work and the campaign in Barcelona.
2: Yeah, well, Barcelona is one of our the first cities in, in, in the campaigns—they've so been, they've been with us from the beginning. And um, Arel's Foundation um, is our partner there; fantastic organisation who's made a huge impact um, in not just in Barcelona but um, but, but wider in, in, in Catalonia. Um, I mean, Barcelona is um, it, it is is actually slightly the opposite to some of the other cities I was describing in terms of the, the makeup of of the people who are living on the street. Um, and one of the one of the things that the, the data showed is that 75% of the people who are on the street in Barcelona are not are not from Spain, are not, not from they're not from Barcelona, are not not even from anywhere else in Spain. And so it does have this huge migrant um, um, population. Um, and that does lead you to think in different different ways and, and you know how, how to solve that problem. And it also poses I think some real problems about what the right to housing means, um, and I think it's one of the one of the challenges about um, the EU is um, there's free movement of of what's well, supposed to be free movement of labour throughout 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 the EU, um, which is I think a good thing. You know, it, 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 economically it's a good thing, and it's a good thing for people's career prospects. But um, it kind of works differently if you are. Um, on a high income, or are you in a low low income? Um, and I think what is what is, I kind of think if if you'd had if you were, I don't know if you were um, say a lawyer and you came from Greece and you you moved to Barcelona, um, you would be, you know, you don't need a permission, you don't need a visa, you can just turn up there and you can you, you can work. And um, and if you're a lawyer, you'd be on a good salary be able to afford your own home and and whatever. And if you later fell on hard times, um, you know, you've been paying into the tax system in Spain, um, there's probably what would happen is that you would be considered um, a resident um, and that the social security system would kick in and and help you. Um, If you were on a lower income job, if you were, I don't know, working in a warehouse or fruit picking or whatever it is, you may have moved for exactly the same sort of reasons. Um, but you find yourself without a home, hit, hard times hit, um, the chances are in Spain, as in every other, I'm not picking out Spain, every other country in Europe, um, would probably say, well, you're not really a resident. Um, you were just in here transiently. And then what are your choices? And you find yourself, you know, with very few and you find yourself on the street. And I think that's what what has happened a lot in, in, in Barcelona. There is a, a lot of... Um, migrant workers have fallen on hard times um, who, who find themselves who find themselves there so I mean it's a big problem with 12 1200 1400 people sleeping on the streets every night in Barcelona it's a it's a it's a big problem um, and they have made progress they've made some fantastic progress they've adopted a housing first program they're making they're making inroads into it but nevertheless, I think one of the problems that Europe faces, and specifically Europe, is that the, the, the migrant situation, um, particularly for people on low incomes, leaves people stranded. And, and, and that's, that's often who, who you find living on the street.
0: Well, uh, you know... It's hard to stay uh, hard to stay positive sometimes in this industry. But with the work you're doing, I think that gives us uh, a lot of hope. I know um, when I was reading about the campaign, there was five innovative projects uh, that received grants, and I'd love to learn more about them because, uh, from what I was reading, they sounded fascinating. How do these grants work, and can you tell us a little bit about them?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, as a foundation, you know, so sort of we, that's how we we choose to to provide grants so so instead of making a sort of open call for grants um, they're within our programs we, often, we make we make quite quite a lot of our resources available to um, a number of small grants um, to to help things which would be difficult to fundraise in, a, in, a, in, in other ways so so often they um, they they're things that um an organization needs to do but it's sort of fairly high risk you don't know quite quite where it's going to lead um, and it might be quite a simple thing so so some of those um, visits where we um, paid for people from one city to go and visit another um, or we um, we helped fund um, a campaign we did in, in Bratislava which was um, which was to to, to highlight the, the, you know, the, 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 the problem of um, people sleeping rough um, on the streets of Bratislava, um, small, small little things, which, um, which sort of five thousand pounds type grants, um, which can actually make the difference um, to, to, to starting something off, um, which wouldn't have happened otherwise. And I think having worked in um, organisations where previously where I was applying for funding. It actually doesn't really make much difference how big the grant is. The, the application process seems to be much the same. Um, so you have to go through, to, you know, a, a lot of a, a admin in order to to get small amounts of grant. And by the time you've done that, it's sort of almost like you know you've 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 exhausted your energy. So what we're trying to do is trying to make these. Um, available to our partners to fund things which they wouldn't be able to fund fund otherwise and get those little things going which might not work but on the other hand it might just be the little gem which um, starts you off in some direction and and opens up a a whole new um, road of possibilities.
1: Well, that's amazing. It's been uh, so great uh, to learn about your organization, and and I really enjoyed reading the report. Um, so, where could our listeners go if they're interested in interested in learning more about World Habitat?
2: Well, it's world-habitat.org is um, is is our website, um, and have a look. We, we've we've got impact reports not just on um, on, on our homelessness program, but also on community led housing, um, and you can see there. Almost 40 years worth of fantastic projects through the World Habitat Awards. So there's all sorts of um, inspiration and innovation which is out there um, for, for, for people to go and see.
0: Yeah, I was looking at it. I was thinking, you know, I wondered if, you know, say a podcast that uh, was international that, that you know, created awareness and education around this would be something that, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. I, <laughs> I was like, uh oh, where is he
1: going with this?
0: <laughs> David, thank you so much for all you do. All World Habitat does uh, for sharing those ideas um, around the world, and and you know because it's only through that that we. I, so the Canadian Alliance on Homelessness, uh, President and CEO Tim Richter, who works with Stefania, he uh, he was joking. He said, "Listen, I I haven't had an original idea since 1990," and and he says that because because I, I don't need to right? All the ideas are out there. We just need to take them, uh, tweak them. Uh, and we can, you know, we, this is a very solvable issue, as you said. So thank you so much for coming on the show and for all you do.
2: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well,
1: Michael, I, um, I really thank you for suggesting, David, to be a guest on our show. It was really cool to learn about the work that that organization is doing. And and I'm always excited when one of our guests is so value aligned uh, and says, you know, a lot of those key messages uh, as a person who works in communications, you know, that this is a solvable problem. Um, It's it's always great to have that reinforced uh, and reinforced by someone who's working in a completely different place from us. It was really great to hear that.
0: Absolutely, and as someone who has twice picked up the phone to say I love those ideas, so uh, with there's a program called Night Stop in the UK, I picked up the phone and said I I think we can do this in Canada, and within two years we were doing it, and then um, David he was talking about canopy house, he repurposing existing vacant homes, mm-hmm. um, we picked up the phone again, went out and visited when I was with Raising the Roof, started a program called Reside that looks to repurpose vacant homes and it's going strong.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and
0: just how easy uh, everyone makes it, right? To share, hey, take it, use it. What can we do? How can we support? It's, it's incredible. So it's so uh, wonderful to have organizations like World Habitat that, that give that accessibility to, and he mentioned it too, to some small places that just don't have those types of resources to do the, right. the research and the work around them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it was super exciting. So I think uh, it's always great to bring in uh, the work that's happening, because I think often we just are so tunnel visioned on what's going on in our own communities, in our own country. Uh, It's important to remember that we're part of a, you know, a world community, and there's so much happening. Um, And sometimes copy pasting or, (laughs) you know, borrowing ideas is actually exactly what we need to do. So I think that's great. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you can't, for our listeners, you can't see it. I was showing David before we got uh, going on the podcast, my Canadian passport. No, I don't mean the the favorite (laughs) one that we have. It was my Tim Hortons cup, just to prove he was speaking to someone in Canada. I showed him that uh, Tim Hortons passport um, that that I enjoy uh, most mornings.
1: Absolutely. Too bad you weren't wearing the Canadian tuxedo though.
0: (laughs) I know, I
1: know. (laughs) Just to double confirm it
0: absolutely and for people who don't know can you tell what is the canadian tuxedo for our international listeners
1: i believe it's the jean jacket or the jean look just from like top to bottom you know jean jacket jeans on your on your leg like just just jean all the way
0: yeah see i thought it was more really like flannel jacket with
1: that only boosts it yeah that the flannel adds that flair i think yeah
0: i i Sometimes when I, when I visited the UK and we were talking about housing, I really fit the lumberjack stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I just was missing the ax over my shoulder. Uh, we're welcoming. Nonetheless, another, uh, another terrific guest, uh, on the way home this time an international one. Uh, I look forward to who's next.
1: Absolutely. We'll see you next week.
0: See you then. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host Roland Tanner and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts, or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe.